Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Title of what I want to share with you today is Don't Fall Asleep. I can see you. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand unless you really want to and feel convicted. How many of you have ever fallen asleep in church? How many of you are thinking about falling asleep today? It was up late last night, you watched a lot of basketball, uh, you, you were reading your Bible till three in the morning, and man, you just, you're just sleepy, and I just want to know, I want you to know, don't fall asleep. There are some times in our lives when we really should not fall asleep. I have to share, early in my sales career, I was on a sales call, and it was one of those things you're supposed to be learning. You know, you're, you're, there's another guy, and he's actually conducting the call, and you're the junior guy, and you're supposed to be listening and learning, and I'm, I'm trying to listen, but it was hot, and I just had lunch, and this customer is talking in a tone like this, and he goes on and on like this, and he just talks monotone, soft monotone and he's talking in technical terms and it I just had lunch and it was really hot and he kept talking on and on and on and that room seemed to close in on me and it was I just had lunch and it was really hot and he just kept talking on and on and on and and the guy I'm with I don't even think he's paying attention but he's at least kind of acting like it I'm trying to give him the verbal the nonverbal feedback you know and and I just had lunch and it was really hot And I started to realize I was losing control of my eyelids. And I thought maybe they were starting to close. And I just had lunch and it was really hot. And the room was kind of closing in on me. And he kept talking on and on again. And I just started to lose it. And I knew I was losing control of my neck. And my head began to... Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And I just had lunch and it was really hot. And then I felt my chin. There's only three of us in here, so I'm thinking, and I thought, I'm awake, I'm fine. Surely nobody saw that. But then a voice started telling me in the back of my head, what if I've been asleep for several minutes? Because you don't know how long you've been like this. And it was hot, and we just had lunch. I thought I got away with it, but after the call, the senior sales rep looked at me and he goes, dude, You can't fall asleep in sales calls. Unrelated to this, we lost that account not long after that. There's times you just can't fall asleep. You just can't. The disciples, Garden of Gethsemane, right? Jesus says, stay awake and watch and pray. He's about to be arrested. He's he's going off to pray for the most monumental event in the history of the world. And the history of salvation is about to happen. And he's about to be arrested. And the disciples can't take that in. But it's late and it's hot and they're falling asleep. It's interesting in the Bible that often the phrase, he fell asleep or she fell asleep, means they died. It's very interesting as we consider this passage today from Acts chapter 20, verse 7 through 12, as we have another sleepy story, and we're talking about a time when you just can't 
fall asleep. Look with me. Acts chapter 20. Turn your Bible on or open your Bible. Acts chapter 20. Here's the setting. The Apostle Paul is getting a little late in his ministry. He's been to Macedonia. He is in the city of Troas, which is on the west coast of what modern-day modern Turkey, the very edge of Asia. He's on the Aegean Sea, and he's come to visit his friends at Troas as he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's collected some money, some funds to try to help the people of the church of Jerusalem, which has come into some really hard times through, because of persecution, people fleeing the city, those kinds of things, just difficult days. And so Paul has collected funds from these other churches that he started, and he's headed back to Jerusalem before he'll go to Rome. And uh, he'll go to Rome, and that'll be his last trip. That's where he will be martyred. So he goes to Troas, and he is thinking about how I can bless these people. And this is, and Troas is where he got the original Macedonian call. If you remember, he had this, this vision of this, this man from Macedonia saying, would you come over and help us? And so he made that his next move. He went from Asia into Europe and shared the good news of Jesus in the West. So he's in Troas, and he gathers the church, and we'll pick the story up here in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. The word of the Lord says, And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room, where we were gathered. And interesting that Luke uses his own uh, personal pronoun. We, he's there. Um, the brighter is actually in the room. Paul is in Troas. He's gathered the church together. He's got six or seven of his companions with him, and uh, they're in this upper room. And you can just kind of feel the atmosphere. Third floor, there's torches going, uh, which are burning up the oxygen in the room, probably. And let me tell you, they had a meal, and it's hot. Paul is talking on and on. Paul's given him everything. It's six hours before midnight, six hours from the time they start until It's like six. He's given him everything. He's given him, man, he's given him Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians. He's given him all that stuff. He's given him Romans. He's given him the whole New Testament, probably. He's teaching this amazing teaching, and he's telling them about the, the good news of Jesus Christ, no doubt, right? And he's sharing with them what it means that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, how the church is to function, the purpose of the church, and to share this incredible news that Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sin. And what that means that we get to share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he's the firstborn among many brothers, that Jesus has this victory over death. And it's the first day of the week, which I think is interesting to consider, right? Because some of you may have wondered, well, why don't we have our worship service on Saturday? That's the Sabbath. Why don't we do that? I mean, our Seventh-day Adventist friends do that. Why, why don't we do that? Well, here's why. Because Sunday is a celebration of resurrection. First day of the week. But more than that, it really doesn't matter what day you take as a Sabbath, as a rest day, as a worship day, because Sabbath really only means seven or seventh or seven in a sequence, and what it means is that we're going to take one out of every seven days to rest and worship and focus on our Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done. 
So whatever day you choose, make sure there is a day, incidentally. Some struggle so much because there is no real Sabbath in their life, and that's what the world would tell us. You can never really rest. You constantly have to keep going. There needs to be a Sabbath in your life. So it's the first day of the week. They're gathered. It's getting late. It's hot. They've eaten. You can just feel what's about to happen, can't you? Verse 9. And a young man named Eutychus, remember in Bible says real names are real people, right? Uh, sometimes they don't give names, but when they give names, notice this is not just some kind of a parable or some kind of a crazy story. This is a real person in a real place, and his name is Eutychus. And he's a young man, and we find out later that he's with his parents, and he's referred to as a youth, which means that he's probably between the ages of 8 and 14. He's not old enough to be on his own yet. Um, but he is not just a little child, a padilla, a young, a young child. He is uh, like my grandson right here. Let's praise God for my grandson right here. Hi, Oliver. And there's my son and my daughter-in-law. They're amazing. They're here from New York and uh, experiencing the glory of Florida. And uh, so glad to have you guys today. Um, such an incredible blessing in our lives, our son, our amazing daughter-in-law. Um, but he's not a little guy. He's old enough to have a sense of doing what he wants to do or what he needs to do. His name is Eutychus, um, verse 9. He's sitting at the window. And, and you wonder, well, what is he doing sitting in the window? Because really he's sitting literally in the windowsill. Well, third floor, you're sitting in the window which really wouldn't have had glass on it. It would have just been open to the air. It's where you would have gotten ventilation, right? And since it's hot up there and since the, 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 the lamps or the torches are burning all the oxygen off, he's probably trying to get a little fresh air. And you may wonder, well, what parent would let their kid sit in a window? So I bet every parent here has let their kid do something a little bit maybe dangerous. Or maybe they're captivated so much by what Paul is saying. They don't notice that Eutychus is back there with the rest of the kids you know, memorizing Bible verses or something, right? We don't know what he's doing, but he's sitting in the windowsill and he starts to be overcome by sleep. It says that he sank into deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. It'd be funny if it wasn't so tragic, right? And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and he was taken up dead. You're like, what? We're... We're in the middle of this incredible teaching. Why would, why would this happen? What, couldn't God stop this? Why, why would he let this child fall out of this window all the way down and be, be killed by hitting the pavement? This is horrible. And, and if you've ever lost a child, you know how gut-wrenching this is. The, the incredible pain of a child who dies in an accident. It's, it's, it's got to be one of the worst pains on earth. I've talked to parents who've lost children in tragic ways and how sad this is and how just they would have been screaming, they would have been shrieking in the morning of the moment and the shock of what has happened. This boy has fallen to his death. What is God saying? What is God doing? I, I don't understand. There would have been chaos almost. But Paul, for some reason, Paul has a sense that God wants to do something. That God wants to do something in the midst of this tragedy. The boy who 
fell asleep had fallen asleep permanently. And incidentally, the original language is clear that he really did die. It wasn't that he was just knocked unconscious. He, he died. It says he was taken up dead. Verse 10. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him up in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Paul goes down and he gets himself dirty. He, gets, he gets, leans over the boy. He takes him up in his arms, and you can imagine as you're watching this that this was possibly kind of a nasty situation. Yeah, somebody falls three stories. Was there blood? Was there damage? Was there, it would have been a difficult scene, but Paul gets down there and he gets dirty. He, he bends over the child, and this reminds us of Elijah in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 and Elisha in uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, where they both came upon someone who had just died. It was in, in a widow's child, and it was another woman's child. It, it was young people that Paul, that, that Elijah and Elisha, and what they did is they, they literally laid their body on top of them, and literally kind of was over them with their body, and God chose to do a miracle. And in both those cases, those, those young people were raised to life. And so that's what's happening here. Paul is kind of imitating what Elijah and Elisha did, knowing that God wanted to do something amazing at this time. And the kid came back to life. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be there, to to move from this incredibly sad, horrible scene to he's back to life, to knowing that he's dead, to now knowing that he's alive. What an incredible scene. What an incredible turn of events would have happened at that moment. It would have been stunning. And for me, a lot of times, I think we walk away from something amazing that God does, and we go, well, that was really cool. That was amazing. And we just kind of go on with our lives, but they don't do that. Which again, let me just tell you, that's why life groups are so important as we process what God is doing together. A lot of our life groups lose, use our sermon notes to talk about what God has said and what God, God has said to people in, their actual, in the actual service and how does that apply to me and talk to people about that. And that's exactly what they do. They don't just walk away and go, well, that was amazing. They say, Paul, what does this mean? And they go upstairs in verse uh, 11. And when Paul had gone back upstairs and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long time until daybreak, and so departed. Paul was headed to Jerusalem. Paul takes him upstairs and says, listen, this is what I've been talking about. You see, Jesus Christ has the power over death. And what you've just seen is just a little foretaste of the ultimate resurrection. Yeah, Eutychus, you're looking good now. You're 14, but you are going to die one day. But there's going to be an incredible resurrection where those who have received the gift of salvation are going to be resurrected and never die. And this, this what happened here is just a foretaste of that, that God has the power over death. What an incredible object lesson for the people of the church. And for Paul to say, listen, this is the news you have to spread. This is the news you have to spread that Jesus Christ has died for the sin of the world. And for those who will say yes, who will repent and receive it, it's theirs. 
uh, hold off on that just a moment. And so Paul, they went away. I love this in verse, um, verse 12. It says, And they took the youth away alive, and they were not a little comforted. It means they were incredibly comforted. It's that Luke understated way of saying things. You know, they were not a little comforted. They were incredibly excited. They, they're so comforted that everything that they've heard and believed is now, they, they've seen it illustrated. It's incredible. You know, all of us, if, if you've received that incredible gift of salvation, you've had a Eutychus moment. Because you were dead. You were dead in your sin. There was no chance for you to ever be made right again. And you were dead in your sin, but somebody or some body, some church body spread themselves over you. And the Holy Spirit contacted you. And the Holy Spirit drew you and saved you. You say, yeah, but I said yes. Yeah, but you had no chance if Jesus had never drawn you. If there was no one who ever spread their life over you, didn't have any chance. So important. You've had a Eutychus moment. You didn't deserve it. You're lying helpless on the pavement. But our God has come and touched you. You got to feel that. You got to appreciate that. You got to take that in and go, I, I I'm so incredibly grateful that God chose to save me. We've all had that moment. And as a church, we have to understand that that is our role. To help people know that this Jesus has saved you. He's paid the price for you. It's incredible. Now, as I said, it was probably kind of messy for Paul. Could have been a lot of, could have been a really damaged body. That didn't stop, Paul. There's a lot of people around you today, and their lives are really damaged. And the question has to be, God, how do we spread our body, the body of Christ, over those people? And allow your spirit to contact them, and allow your spirit to save them. How do we do that? That's got to be a question in our lives that we're continually asking, because we so want those around us to be saved, because they're falling They're falling out the window. Who did that for you? Who did that for you? Who was that maybe just a little bit of a connection? Or maybe just helped you take a step towards Jesus? Or maybe just helped you take another step and get closer until ultimately you came to the place where you were so overwhelmed by the love of Jesus that you said yes? Who did that for you? Who were those people? Oh, it's important. So important that we recognize that. Thank you, Jesus, for sending those people to spread their lives over us. Who are you concerned about today? Who are you praying for today? And and your heart is breaking for them because they are lying on the pavement waiting for someone to save them. And you just don't even know how to get in contact with them sometimes. And you're praying, God, give me the opportunity to to bless them, to allow your spirit to contact them through me. God, how do I do that? Who's that? Does God bring them to your mind right now? I'm thinking everyone has four or five people that God's bringing to your mind right now. But thirdly, who's, who's drifting asleep? 
Who is drifting from the core group of the church? Who is drifting toward the edges of the church? Who is stepping away from really being present very much? Who is stepping away from their their life group? Who is stepping away from leadership? Are you getting further from God? Are you moving toward the edges of the church? Because man, let me tell you, if you're starting to drift and starting to fall asleep, you need to stay away from the windows. You know what I mean? But I see it all the time. You see people who come in, they get involved, and then suddenly you don't, they kind of drift toward the windows. And they get closer to the windows and they start breathing the outside air, and before you know it, they've fallen out. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing. It's incredibly sad. You say, well, Steve, I, I thought you preached that if you, once you've been saved, you can't lose that salvation. I, yes, absolutely. Jesus said, I'll, I promise to be with you always, even to the end of the age. I, no one can pluck you out of my hand, but I will tell you this, that there are people who act like they're saved, think they're saved, but never really were, and they wind up drifting to the edges. And they fall out the window. Listen, if you're drifting, and you feel like you're kind of starting to lose control, of your spiritual eyes. And your eyes are starting to close to His Word. And we see this all the time. We see it in churches. We see it in people. They say, you know what? I, I don't know. that Did Jesus really need to die for that sin? I, I don't think so. We redefine what Jesus had to die for. We had these discussions with Him. Is that really sin? Is that really wrong? You know what? If the Bible says it's a sin... You need to think it's a sin because Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to pay the price for our sin. And we start to close our eyes to that. We drift to the edges. And we're in danger of falling. That's why we need to constantly be looking into His Word and constantly drawing ourselves back to the center of His Word. Not trying to make deals with him, not trying to justify our actions, not trying to justify how we are, but rather saying, Jesus, I want what you want. I want to, I want to be in the center of what you're doing. I don't want to negotiate with evil. I don't want to sit there on the windowsill trying to breathe the outside air. I want to breathe the inside air. I want to breathe what Jesus Christ is revealing through his servants. I want to know people who could help me along the way. The good news is that's what the church is all about. It's imperfect, yes. But I can tell you so many stories in this room right now of redemption. People that had no chance except for the fact that Jesus Christ loved them. I have no chance unless Jesus came to me as a nine-year-old and drew me to himself and said, I need, you need to follow me. You need to give your life to me. You need to repent of your sin and let my spirit fill you. I can tell that story for so many of you. And if you're discouraged today thinking, you know what, I feel like I am on the edge. I feel like I am on the edge. And all these people seem to have it together. They really don't. They just have Jesus. And you can too. You can too. In a minute, I want to pray. I want to urge you, would you allow your heart to be open for Jesus Christ to move? Maybe you never really received the gift of salvation. You've just gotten used to church people and you kind of like the lifestyle. Maybe you've never said to him, Lord, do with me whatever you want. 
And let me be someone who helps others be saved and help others experience the resurrection. You see, we can't be falling asleep. We need to be helping other people experience the resurrection. Because Jesus is the only way to resurrection. It breaks my heart that so many people are trying to find some other way. Today, I want to urge you to come back away from the windows. Draw close to God's Word. And be ready to share your life, to spread your life over those who have fallen onto the pavement. Would you pray with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.